Oh my Vince god! To Betsy, that was unkind. Oh, like a raisin. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay. Wow. You got all okay. your wiggles out. <clears throat> Roman, did you huh? get your wiggles out? I'm lighting a second incense. No, no I want to, you know, dis- disperse them through the episode. <laughs> Welcome to a perfectly acceptable podcast. Why? It's episode 204, (laughs) don't you know? Where every week we get a whole bunch of comics at the comic shop that we all know, run, love, and make love to and in. Um, We get the comics, we get excited about them, then we take them home and we read them. Every week is different here on the Reading Rainbow. And on this week's Reading Rainbow, I didn't have a huge, huge stack of comics, but I'm excited to talk about them with my good friends. As always, I am Jeff, the conductor on this small Thomas-themed tank engine. I'm Django. That is all. I'm Roman, and that is also all. I'm Gavel T. Hollow. Also known as Justin. I Gavel thought, T. Hollow. I thought that, is that, is Hollow. that your is that your hang and judge character? That yes, that I is thought it. more people would know Thomas the Tank Engine. I thought I'd get like a Percy. I thought I'd get like a conductor. I thought I'd get I was afraid of trains. Really? I, I was too Especially old for that. With faces. I was too old for that show. I never saw it. I Roman, watched a lot of it with my kids. When I got to know you, Roman, you were into my little pony, and that was within the last ten years. <laughs> Something about cancer and being close to death just sort of purifies your your inter, your internal sort of compass, and you find yourself being drawn to Better things fly. like My Little Pony. Applejack gives your life direction and meaning. <laughs> We're going to talk about some comics, and I'm pretty excited to talk about those comics. I'm going to do my best to tell them to everybody. We used to plot them out a lot more closely. We'd all sit in a room together, together, and we'd put all the books together in a stack, and then I like I would or Django would read through them in the stack. And now it's just like. I don't know. I don't even have half of them, and it's just a crazy stack. It would be impossible to do. It's by the seat of our pajama pants, which is all that we wear anymore. It's all I am wearing Western Washington sweatpants right now. Yeah, blue sweaties. Nice. My pants off. Nice. I'm trying to hold up the veneer of professionalism by giving the classic Django stiff arm here. Oh my god. Arm and lean. Oh. I got a bit. I got a bit. No one gets a bit. Um, we're going to be paying attention to the other history of the DC universe. Number one, John Constantine Ortine Hellblazer, 12. Detective Comics, 1031. Doctor Doom, 9. Fantastic Four, Antithesis, 4. Department of Truth, <laughs> 1 through 3. We're going to talk about some indie books. We're going to talk about those indie books in the Django and Justin super indie underground Uber power hour bowling power alleys. Django's bald. Uncle Uncle fun fest. (laughs) Hip uncle fest. And then we're going to talk about all the X-Men books. I don't know if I mentioned that Django and Roman and Justin and I are here to talk about comics. And in that list, we'll also have Marvel's number two. And I walk 
Home with Monsters. <laughs> and the last three X-Men books, which are X-Men 15, Excalibur 15, and Ten of Swords Destruction. Chapter 22 of 22. We did it. Destruction! Guys, I got kind of lost in all of that. I hope everyone's cool with how I did that. I'm sorry. I'm into it. Okay, let's... Hey, Jago, listen. You're <laughs> cool. I'm cool, right? But listen, hey, we, sure. didn't re- we didn't read all of the other history of the DC Universe. So let's drop that veneer that we walk in. We, listen, we try to pretend that we're cool, but the actual real cool people in this room are Roman and Justin. The other history like of the DC gradient, Universe... like a gradient or a spectrum, if you will. They're, the, they're on the cool end. No, no, no. It's like a binary. We are the zero and they are the one. Uh, this, <laughs> this is written by... so much harder. <laughs> <laughs> um, John Ridley, Giuseppe Camincoli, Andrea Cucci, and Jose Villarubia, who we've seen on a number of things. I, I love that last name. I do too. That's, how, that's what stands out about it. Um, and I did the introduction, and Roman and Justin, you actually read this, and I didn't finish it, so people who actually should be talking should be talking. Spoil us. Alrighty, Roman, first of all, I'm confused. I need to, I got to ask a context question. How much of this is actual history of the DCU? Not just like plugging pluggings into different perspective. Like obviously I recognize certain moments in time and I recognize iconic things, but how much of this is like black lightning's actual history? I think it all is. Okay. I mean, I know I never read, I I wasn't a, continuous reader of his series but i read random issues and i read all the outsiders and yeah this is all cool i know nothing so familiar at least it seemed to me like maybe some of the events were mixed up like was john stewart already a green lantern before the justice league fought starro for the first time mm, that's a good question well no i, don't think I, mean, so. I mean yeah they they re- i like the way they reset in this that the justice league formed in 1976 during the bicentennial because mm-hmm. it adds this whole other element to it. So, no, I mean, they first appeared in the comics in what, the late 50s, early 60s? Early 60s. Early 60s. I think, yeah. Yeah. And John Stewart became a Green Lantern like in the late 60s, I think. Okay. Hey, Roman, for anyone who just is not looking at this, do you want to just give us like, what is this book for anyone who doesn't know? This is, um, it's an oversized magazine size comic and the other history of the DC universe. It, it's uh, telling DC Universe history, but from the viewpoint of, of non-white characters, others, quote unquote. Um, and this first issue is all Black Lightning, Jefferson Pierce. And it's his, his story from, you know, when he was a teenager up to roughly now, I think. And just what it's like for him becoming a superhero in this world that's most you know most superheroes that are in the public eye are you know white men um and it's cool that they started off in 1972 so they didn't they didn't like slide the timeline up for him yeah it was crazy to to set it then and move it through you know at least the 90s uh it dates the dc universe in a certain way and it like kind of traps it in a certain way to to place like real life Olympic events. And then we go, you know, like Reagan is involved and stuff. It was really weird to see, and it fits perfectly, but the DCU like put into our human time, time frame. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that. And yeah, yeah, they did that so they could tie in some of the, the uh, socio 
sociological events, real world events into Pierce's own storyline and how he's reacting to the world. Um, you know, they do a great bit in here where he's talking about the, the Iran hostage crisis of 79 or 80 or so. That's right about where I made it up to. Oh, okay. Yeah. And just how the justice league, you know, didn't do anything. They could have, they could have gone over there and saved the hostages, but they didn't. They made a statement that they're not a political organization and they, so they shouldn't because, you know, it might lead to bad ramifications. In other words, you know, they copped out and didn't do anything. Right. They're not interested in the world events. I, I really thought that they did a pretty good job of showing the history from a, a you know, a person of color's perspective there's such suspicion towards the justice league and it kind of shows the justice league is kind of almost bad actors in a way, especially when it comes to the political crisis. Like they're, they're still kind of observing their own party interests, maybe not class interests, but you know, they're, they're more of these like political or almost like celebrity figures rather than actual heroes. They don't care about the geopolitics of the world. You know, they're just fighting galactic beings and, upholding the the kind of limited worlds that they have and they're not super worried about communities is where black lightning's like trying to he's in this what do they call it the suicide suicide slums yeah the suicide slums yeah. which is like a fictional slums outside of metropolis, metropolis. yeah well, um, so you, like you almost have to have heroes take that perspective otherwise the world starts diverging from our own so oh quickly. for sure no i think I it's, like it would be hard to have our world if superheroes had always been doing things for the greater good of all humanity yeah which I mean, is it's it's there a wouldn't be 9 11 yeah it's like, I, yeah i was so this is written by john ridley who is going to be writing batman for future state it was a really big deal that he was going to be coming over and when future state was actually just going to be like 5g he was going to be the batman writer and this book was originally solicited before the pandemic like Django and i were like tracking down some order stuff and this was a book that was orderable and it was 2018 yeah, it was wasn't like it october 28 2018 yeah like two years ago no, 2019 i think it was, it was 2018 ago. i think that like you said that insane we looked at the month code it was anyway it um i don't know if it was canceled if it was put on hold or what it was i approached this this week from the standpoint that like because i am unfortunately kind of cynical anytime i see somebody who is like celebrated in another medium come to comics i'm always i get all there's always an air of like is this going to be a vanity project and that's foolish because like gerard way did it and i was skeptical of that but umbrella academy is fantastic like saladin ahmed's black bolt or yeah black bolt run was fantastic moving into it but there are instances of it not like tanasi coates i don't think like i think he would say that his first year was like learning the medium and so I was a little hesitant going into this and then I flipped through and it's like 56 pages long and it's primarily text and you four know, but listeners, I'm like a really slow reader. So I was like, well, I'm not going to be able, you three, I'm the fourth. Um, but I knew I was not going to be able to read this today. And I was like, but I bet the other guys have, so I should flip it open. And like within a page and a half, I was totally engrossed. And I think that it is so well done. Uh, it was a pretty small week and I haven't finished this issue yet, but this would be my 10 of the week. I think that the way that this, like it doesn't look at all like Giuseppe Camincoli's normal art. Who no, it doesn't. Spider-Man forever. Yeah. It looks like, um, well, he, he didn't do 
He didn't do the art. He did the layouts. Oh, Andrew, really? Andrea Cucci did the the finishes. But it has, yeah, it's layouts and finishes. Mm-hmm. So what I was going to say is it reminds me of the, the question stuff with Sienkiewicz and Dennis mm-hmm. Cohen, which to say that like, I think that division of work, like layouts and inks, like yeah. provides a weird thing where it doesn't really look specific, specifically like either of their arts. And this ended up looking to me kind of like that Sienkiewiczian pencil stuff from that era not super like Sienkiewicz but um Dennis Cowan in that era of it but what I really loved is like what you guys said which just how it bent the narrative not bent it but it just represented it from another side which is just that like yeah superheroes are cool but I, I think that this this reads like Black Lightning in the in the world like Marvel's did Mm-hmm. Um, but what this also did is I thought it kind of functioned on this cool parallel na- narrative level where when he was a child talking about the superheroes showing up, it also just kind of reminded me of what it was probably like to be a young black kid reading comic books and be like, oh yeah, these are all cool. But that amount of like, yeah, they are all white. I mean, I dig that these guys are superheroes, but there's not a lot for me to latch on to. And, and just- then Black Lightning shows up in the comic. Yeah, but also even him as a character talking <clears throat> about having heroes arrive so like that that dual nature of that i thought was really well done and i just think that like there's a lot of white people who have barriers towards being able to take in information about like their own privilege and i think a lot of it is reprehensible but i think a lot of it is also just like people not having it come into their brain in a way where they get it yet like i've just Mm -hmm. seen a lot of people like actually kind of make some realizations about things and what I think is really cool about this is that I think that it, at its best, it might be able to hopefully get a message across to some people who haven't learned some really, really important lessons about just like disenfranchisement or what it means to like not really have a hero to look up to in a culture that's pretty whitewashed. That's the yeah. one thing I wish was that this had was a um, <clears throat> annotations in the back, like uh, Wade did with History of the Marvel Universe. Just so if people are reading this and they think, oh, come on, they must have made that up for this story that like the Justice League, three of them posed as villains to test Black Lightning to see if he was worthy enough to be, to join them, even though he already been a superhero for, you know, X number of years and Superman had met him. And no, they didn't make that up for this story. That actually happened. I remember that is those issues of JLA. Yeah, and, of course, Black, and of course, Black Lightning was really insulted by that and told him, no, I don't want to be part of your league. Yeah. So I wish I I do wish it had that in it. The the bit about like when John Stewart shows up and just the way that within comics, but even within the fictional world within comics, kept re- referring to him as like the replacement John Stewart and all of this. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh cool, we have a black superhero, but we're still not willing to say he's the like Green Lantern. He's like a stand-in, you know, Green Lantern. He's a replacement yeah. Green Lantern. The tokenism and, of it. Yeah, yeah. And just that like, you know, I think I, I do, you know, I think there's a lot of people who are willfully ignorant, but I hope that some people will read this and be like, that'll be a new thought to them of like, oh, shit, that's probably a real bummer that like, even when they did create a hero that represented me, they didn't give him full hero dumb in, in so many, so many ways. And that, that was just throughout the half that I read. I'm very excited to read the next half. Uh, did you guys make it to the part where he has his first conversation with Superman? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was my favorite part. Um, I think it's a valiant attempt to like add critical race theory to his superhero book and i think like there are parts that i didn't super love but i think it's a really 
really ballsy thing for DC to like put out because this, I mean, it is exposing a little bit of the skeletons of the closet of their history. Mm -hmm. You know, like they are at some point, these characters, while they're valiant and heroic and role models to us, you know, from a critical race standpoint, they're not ideal citizens. You know, they're maybe not even good people in the terms of their community. Like they go and fight monsters, but when he talks to Superman about like, what about our neighborhoods? You know, there's like, you know, people are being robbed. We're in a food desert. I don't think he cites a food desert, but those types of situations, like superheroes can't magic wand those things away. Mm -hmm. And to add for DC to like put that out in a high, a high format book of theirs in for the world to see, I think is brave. You know, it, it is kind of showing the fact that they kind of perpetrated some of these stereotypes in this whitewashed Mm -hmm. two dimensional component to superheroes. Um, I think that's really brave and commendable and, I'm sure some of it is performative. You know, all things are incentivized by having a product like, oh, we can have our critical race theory book, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but the fact that they let him be so critical of their properties that they still are making money off of, I thought was pretty cool. Um, yeah. You know. well, <clears throat> and also the fact that he's, Jefferson Pierce is so critical of himself because <clears throat> I really like that they didn't just have him be like the voice of the black experience in DC comics. Right. He's the voice of his own experience, which is informed by all that, of course, but in showing his, you know, his initial impressions of Jon Stewart as, as, um, and his initial impressions of Vixen, and then later on how those impressions change radically by the end of the book and how, you know, in his, in his own um, kind of jealousy is not the right word quite, but of both of like Vixen who arrives on the scene and is instantly accepted by Superman and kind of the Justice League, though she's still stuck in a reserve position. But just kind of the commentary about on that and how she knows how to make things work and, and, and you know, his anger is, and bitterness is kind of working against him and they show that in here. That's the kind of stuff that, yeah, I think that did this book real well. I graded this book in the way that Roman rates his weekly books. And I don't think that like on paper, I would say this is a 10, but because I didn't have a huge week in books, this is the one that surprised me the most. And like, I was ready to just sort of like only glance at to get an idea of what, and then I, you know, ended up halfway through it while I was making dinner and stuff. So I would give it a 10 because it was the thing I liked the most this week. I think I would uh, give it an eight and a half, maybe nine. I want to finish it. I stopped reading when he got his, uh, his credit for being the best teacher in the school Mm. because I didn't want to take the time to have a full weeping breakdown while I was eating Thanksgiving leftovers and trying to finish a comic for the podcast. Yeah, I'll I'll definitely give it a 10. This was my favorite, my favorite read of the week. There's a lot of surprises in here for it. I'm looking forward to the future issues. I'll give it an eight and a half or a nine. It's it's, it definitely is my favorite book of the week. I got, nitpicky things about you know transitionary like there are some parts that i felt like didn't comics super well and there's other little nitpicky things that i have about like how i think i would personally disagree with certain things but uh that you can't really grade a book for that so it was definitely my my favorite book of the week 
So speaking Django, of flawed characters, John Constantine Tyne Hellblazer 12, the final issue of this run, the series that was canceled, they were just going to end it. Then they let him go till 12, which is where it was maybe going to end unless it had been greenlit to keep going. But it mm-hmm. does seem like they had put some endings that encapsulate the whole of the run in here. Django said, this is a hell of a way to end a series. So I read this after having not read since seven. Go I, on. I stopped at the mermaids. Well, uh, so for the record, I'm going to say Constantine. Yeah. So this is Aaron Campbell who did the art in Infidel. This he's super yes. friendly dude, if not kind of hard to read though. Yeah, especially in this issue. Um, and it didn't, it didn't seem rushed. This is kind of a double-sized issue. It, it is didn't seem rushed, but it did feel like the... The art was maybe colored way differently than usual. Um, and it had more of a Dennis Cohen look than a Bill Sienkiewicz look, if you know what I mean. Uh, just a little bit sketchier and, and more lines. Um, I think it was a really good conclusion to the story. Um, we, we find out that not everything is as it has seemed. We find out that the 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 amazing shocking ending to the last issue where they were actually um all the rich all the rich people in royalty were having sex with the wounds that they'd put into a uh, giant underneath buckingham palace or parliament or whatever um basically they were doing down there they were they were literally fucking england like all the politicians were fucking england by having sex with this uh basically with you know, That's exactly the what they're doing. They're Albion. all wearing animal masks and they're humping a giant troll. Yeah. Um, huh. And so we learned that that was... one for the Queen of England. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I should be reading this book. Dude, <laughs> Roman, this <laughs> is such a you. I'm sorry that it's over to everyone because this book is very, very good, but it's very Roman. We get to really see John do like a classic Constantine double cross with his older self who also pulls a double cross which is double crossed and um we get we learn about john's lineage which i think was my favorite part of the whole thing like he's got a kid we didn't know about and it 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 changes it changes him a little bit and i think that for constantine to have any amount of change in a story arc like usually he starts as a bastard and he ends as a bastard and uh by oh my god by the end of this one he may be a little bit different roman the just put on a bastard. mask oh my god. and uh jeff we need to hide our giants <laughs> oh he's like something out of that <laughs> tom cruise movie <laughs> oh my god i just looked up and roman has a like a midsummer mask on that sucks um i'm just not gonna look at it because it genuinely freaks me out but roman you would have loved this these are like pages of text. Oh, like, man. Oh, God. Shreddy, gonna fuck you up, bruv. You get me? Fuck you up, terminal. Like, all just like, <laughs> like, really, like, brava. Is it been then? Oi. Like, <laughs> I just love like, it. Giant text bubbles that just say, oi. Um, brava. Brava. B R U V A is in here several times. Um, I just read it because it was the end of this run that has been like pretty celebrated by people who don't normally read Constantine mm-hmm. and celebrated by the people who do read Constantine. And that is on un- there. It's been five years. If this is the, there hasn't been a Constantine book since Hellblazer ended, you know, eight years ago that people have been like, good. 
this is yeah. this is the best one since then. There was you know a, a rebirth one, maybe one at the end of the new fifty two, but there's a new you know, fifty two one. Yeah, yeah this is trying. the one that everyone is like, no, that Kisden Rowe was like on board, you know, so you know it's good then. Uh, so I've read the final issue as well as several issues in there, and there are things I didn't get just by virtue of having not read the last two issues, but I think it's pretty incredible. And like from from a whole series point of view, every issue or two have felt like short stories. Like here's a story that you, that's kind of one and done. And here's another one with a little bit of connective tissue, but mostly it's, it's been like monster of the week, maybe with monster of two weeks. But by the end here, this issue brings all of that back together. All of the stories that we've seen come back into play for this one. I, I think it's a really well done bit of storytelling. I think when you can surprisingly reframe an entire story and not have made the reader feel like that was going to happen. Yeah. That's my favorite type of mystery following up on that conversation we had of our favorite types of mysteries several days ago. The pictures of John smoking with a hand covered in blood are some of the most Constantine drawings I've ever seen. Just like he's been rooting around in the viscera of the guy who was scrying for him. And he's, he's not going to let a blood hand stop him from smoking. And it ends on a big old cliffhanger. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like an emotional cliffhanger for Constantine. Well, he's dead. That's true. And he's dead. Yeah, he realizes dead. he's dead on the last page. Yeah. And the series is over. God. It was wonderful. Huh. I give this a 10. Whoa. You don't, it's hard for you to get he a He gave one on last table. week and he gave one the week before. No, he, he's given like. He's given like three in the last four weeks. Justin, you have an effect on his gooey, gooey duck. Man, you got a change in your diet or are you on some new kind of medication getting tens of These antidepressants are getting me turgid. I'm taking gooey duck diuretics, boys. <laughs> um, no, that he's got a big hard gooey duck for John Constantine, so that tracks. It's true. But it's probably been hard because you've been cucked in the corner for like years now, loving John Constantine and not getting to read anything good. And here it's just we have me and Kisden Rowe. A good one. So I, I would, I'll go 8.5, but I'm just like, I just love the movie. And this one actually had very strong movie vibes at times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm yeah. just like, if I could go back in time and be like a snobby fanboy of one thing that I, I feel like I'd get a lot out of value out of is Constantine. I love him. I love every time I see him, he charms me. I would put this run probably in my top four or five Constantine stories. I wonder if the reason that they're doing it is to give Tom Taylor's Hellblazer book more room or like more of a sense that it's the definitive thing. Canceling it is so that Tom Taylor can take over for real. Yeah, Sorry, I that's hope what so. I mean, yeah. I yeah. hope so, because I love that book. All of us read Detective Comics oh, 1031. It's so good to be in here in the mud with you boys. But Peter Tomasi and Bill Quist Evely. I haven't and read this book in a long time, but I know that Damien and Bruce broke up, and I checked into this to see beefing. how that's going. Yeah, Beef. that's another new Batman villain in Gotham, the, the mirror guy from Watchmen. Yeah, I was going to say, it's such a Watchmen guy. <laughs> yeah, It's the dude, the, the doomsday prepper. Yeah, with the yeah. mirror. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about him. Nice, nice Love call. Looking glass. Looking glass. Uh, yes. Yeah. This uh, is. This is. This was. I love Bill. Pretty Chris. good. Yeah, I love the art. Yeah, I love it. Her oranges. Ooh, yeah. Give me that Gotham orange. And her like big Batman eyes. So yeah, we got Damien. He's beefing with some old detective who may or may not be related to someone else. We still got a. Uh, 
you know, Mayor Noai getting uh, potentially swayed by the waves of the mirror. He's seeing his dark reflection. He's seeing his true colors, what's behind the other eye. And that's cool, I guess, you know, we like that. Uh, I don't Batman. know why I give our brief summaries on Batman and Quarantine. You're doing tomorrow's. No, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely uh, you are. <laughs> Has anyone been uh, reading this book up until this point? I'm not. I read the last three I, or four. Yeah, yeah. I, I mostly have. I think I missed an issue recently. I think I missed one too. Somebody yeah. said first appearance of Damien as the mirror. And I was That's, like, I'm going to read my, that. My bad. I read a Bleeding Cool article that led me to believe that that was true. And you know what they do. You know they Bleeding do. Cool. Um, <laughs> hey, you guys know the signal's still a character? Yeah. <laughs> they don't know what to do with him. He's going to forever just be the signal because no one wants to touch him and like kill him. You know, but yeah. Scott Snyder's like, well, I don't know what to do with him. But Scott's I, also like, but don't you fucking touch him. Because when I'm boy. bored, I'm going to write that story. That's my baby boy. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I liked Duke the character, but when he became the signal, he just became hyper lame. And now no one, he's just kind of there sometimes. Yeah. yeah. So, oh, look, there he is with the group. Okay. <laughs> Justin, um, I was getting pretty strong anarchy, like first appearance of anarchy vibes. Yeah. Did you, did you read those? That, that was right oh, when yeah. I first did started reading. Did Justin them. read the anarchy yeah. stuff? Oh my God. I don't. Yeah. Justin knows anarchy. <laughs> no hierarchy. No leaders. <laughs> Giant gold mask with an A on his chest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It kind of reminded me of a B for Vendetta mm-hmm. in a really like, yeah. you know, street protesters uh, kind of uh, Occupy movement shit, you know very this this time it felt kind of political for tomasi normally he's just like i like monsters and stuff um, it's hard to write a comic book right now and not have a scene where the the writing yeah. yeah exactly <laughs> with like you know the the bourgeois or the the everyday people are are is that bourgeoisie the bourgeoisie yeah. the bourgeoisie okay yeah with when they're not out rioting right right now sure. yeah that's what we're doing we're rioting i was just here for the damien stuff but i was totally surprised <laughs> that during this big double page scene of all these people fighting and i'm not sure if it was given away earlier but in that double page scene there's a shot of actually maybe it, oh yeah there's a shot of signal getting taken down and it's the dude ah. in a batman mask wearing the the, the hush coat and i'm mm-hmm. like oh dang that's hush's coat this isn't a hush story is it and then i was like oh wait yeah i guess that girl is hush's sister this is a fucking hush story and then it's Hush at the end, and I don't know how polarizing that character is to legitimate Batman fans, but given that Hush was kind of what got me to start reading comics, you know, as a person who wandered in off the street in a comic shop in Colorado, um, I was pretty pumped. I read all the Hush stuff up to here. Yeah, like Is, is Hush Mainly the character the polarizing or just that story? I just think that... I mean, like, he's kind I, of a shell of a character after the story, but I like him. Yeah. yeah. Love you the know, costume. I, I think he's kind of a shell after the story, and I think that people... I've heard people be like... Yeah, but the story of Hush is just the same story as Dark Halloween or Long Halloween, which is the same as Dark Victory. You introduce like oh whatever. I've heard so much hate on Hush. Yeah, but. I've heard a lot of hate on it, but I think in terms of a, a story that introduces like has all it's of a Batman the bad Grand guys, Slam. Yeah, it, it's it like gives Long, you everything you want for a breakfast. It's like Long Halloween or Dark Victory in that it's a perfect Batman story. Yeah, See, and, I, I think I think it's of those three things that that team did. I I think it's way better than Dark Victory and Long Halloween. Whoa. Okay. Whoa. <laughs> so Jim Lee is better than Jeff Lowe or so Tim Sale? Oh, I thought Tim Sale did all of them. 
No, Jim Lee did hush. So that okay. the one mark well, against hush is that it's a it's big Lee. muscles and clenched jaws, yeah. whereas okay. the other ones are like shadowy. But it's the same tail. writer, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I mean, the, it's the, the right. Yeah, the writing, the story-wise, that's what I meant. I mean, yeah, Jim Lee, I don't care. But. I really liked Hush in the follow-up to the Hush story, which was in Streets of, of Gotham. Yeah, yeah, Art of Hush, where he got uh, plastic surgery to look like Bruce Wayne. Yeah, and he spent like three years in continuity, making people think he was Bruce Wayne, like a dick. Streets of Gotham. I loved it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's even like that in the video game. I didn't realize in this issue because I didn't recognize the coats or anything. I knew I figured out that somebody was using all these people, but until like it was revealed at the end that it was Hush, it didn't occur to me that it was Hush because Hush is one of those characters that. Every time he does show up, I'm like, oh, he's still around. Okay. Right. Yeah, you, <laughs> he, he's new enough that it could have just been a one-off villain that no one's yeah. like, it's clearly a character. They're like, are we putting him in the rogues gallery? Like, is he? <laughs> yeah. He, he's so cool looking and his story is so good, but he is hush. The man, Thomas Elliot is like nothing. He's like yeah. an empty, like the whole plot of hush is like who hush, hush actually mm-hmm. is. And when they reveal it, it's like, oh, it was Riddler the whole time anyway who was doing all the actual stuff. And so I think it's hard to like, well, what does Hush want? What's his motivation besides yeah. just like getting Batman? Just bummed out, was... jealous best friend. Yeah, but he's his costume's awesome. I am very excited to see him back maybe doing something cool again. Um, I love that he was wearing the Batman. Like out of all the different masks he could have been wearing in that crowd, he chose the Batman mask. Yeah. yeah. Rather than the signal, which, you know. Who? <laughs> her uh, yep. i give this hey. issue a seven are you looking for a batman book i, I give it a 7.5 this is as good as the jimmy tiv book except i respect it more i yeah. don't know what that means yeah no i like I, the art better well not better but i like the art a lot and i like that we're watching like a side character thing we don't get many new side characters and now we have the one-eyed mayor <laughs> slowly losing his heart um, and his and his eyes yeah uh and i i give it a seven and a half i would say yeah uh, as good as the jimmy tiv book but with lower expectations so yeah that's a net gain right there Romy, uh, i'd give it a seven yeah and i'd I give it a turn and, and, and i'd nine. say well i was gonna say it's it's much better than jimmy tiv batman but i can't really say that because i haven't read most of those issues so the next one is um <laughs> the next one is one of our uber indie power hour books it's either department of truth it's department of truth and fantastic four antithesis number four. Oh my god oh. roman do you just want to give us before we get dank with department of truth do you want to just fantastic four antithesis ended it was a four-part miniseries it was written by mark wade which is pretty awesome drawn by neil adams which is pretty surprising and the speculators all wanted issue number two. Mm-hmm. And then that, it, two? it was impossible to read the series because all the speculators bought all of the issue number twos because it was the first appearance of some random character. And uh, <laughs> and now you can like only they get do. issues one, three, and four anywhere. And you can get a lot of three and four for not much <laughs> money because everyone increased their orders after the speculators all bought issue number two. It was the first appearance of the cosmic push me, pull you. Mm. How was it? How did this whole, what, what was the story of this? I only read the first issue, but like Silver Surfer showed up at the end of the first issue. Something scary was happening. Neil Adams did the art, which is cool. Love what it. was this? Yeah. It, you know, I wasn't that impressed with the first issue, but I've really enjoyed the series since then. And this last, the last issue of it, it's pretty cool. It's just big, 
big silly Marvel universe science stuff and Mark Wade. I mean, the first page, it's a giant full page of Reed Richards as Galactus because he's taken like the Galactus Let's power cosmic Let's into himself. See it. And it's see and it. it's great. It's just an awesome I don't have my camera. It's just it's just it's just big fun Marvel style stuff. They've got new uniforms for some and for some reason Sue has antenna and you don't know why. It's never bothered to be explained. It's Neil and Adams. Neil, that is the most classic yeah, yeah. Neil Adams thing I've ever heard. Yeah, great. And you know, all Fantastic Four, Agatha Harkness, the witch woman who was first introduced in Fantastic Four, she shows up to help them and it's just fun. Johnny Marvel Storm adventures. has three cocks and Neil Adams yeah, doesn't yeah, explain ben, it at any ben, point. He's just ben, got three penises. He yeah, went ben to the Johnny. hollow earth and got a, two dicks. Yeah, there's a great <laughs> From moral. From the deep, deep bottom. <laughs> they have great science fiction adventures and there's a great a great moral at the end that, you know, hopefully he'll have learned. Galactus, that is. And, hmm. the, and the end. <laughs> hmm. You can definitely, like, putting Neil Adams on a book gives that timeless feel, right? You're like, this is, okay, this is just kind of for the love of Marvel. I, I feel like yeah, and, and, it, and it's, you know, it, it's pretty decent Neil Adams. I mean, he gets a lot of flack, and I've given him flack, like, on the first issue for his artwork and how it's gotten, you know, in his older years, he's gotten kind of lazy sometimes. But this is a pretty good thing, and I actually came to enjoy his the way he draws Ben especially because the profiles, I mean, there's a couple scenes in here where Ben, I mean, he totally looks like an orange Ninja Turtle. But, you know, that's kind of cool in a way. <laughs> I think that it was when I, when, in, when I read the first I issue, that. it was the best Neil Adams I'd seen in years. Yeah, well, four is better art than that. Nice. Okay, cool. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah, I, I, I think that those types of stories need to exist. I think we need to like, and, and I, I think that that type of thing is a better usage of Peter Bagley. Sorry, Neil Adams. <laughs> so what I meant was that type of thing is the best type of thing for an artist like Peter Bagley. Like we keep putting him on, or like John Romita Jr. has been the artist on Action Comics. Or Peter Bagley right. gets put on, you know, like a random Marvel book. And, the, the, and like he's on Venom lately. And it's like, there are parts of history, but I don't think that we should try and force these artists who are, parts of the evolution of comic books to try and then fit into like Donny Cates' Venom 26 through 31. Like let them have a book that kind of, so what Wait, do you give you... that thing? What's that? Oh, did you mean Mark Bagley? Sorry, Peter Baggy is yeah, the Peter indie is guy the and indie Mark guy. Bagley. Take all of those Peter Bagleys out <laughs> and make it Mark Bagley, the okay. ultimate Spider-Man artist. Making notes. I'll do, I know I'll do Justin knew exactly who yeah. I was talking about though. But I, I was, yeah, I, I was racking my brain. Art. I was trying to, who the heck is Peter? <laughs> Peter Baggy is the yeah know, yeah the from ball? hate and eight, no, yeah. hate 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 and some other Seattle based comics back in the day. Fantagraphics guy. Uh, yeah, I, I'll, I'll give it a I give it a I give it a seven point four point oh four four to the power 4. of four or sixteen. Yeah. yeah, that that right. Okay, I'm the mathinator. Ooh, All right, you, you three are on to talk about Department of Truth, which I've been not a part of. So get it out there, boys. Good lord! Uh, Django was swinging his dick around, and then Roman helped Django swing that big dick around. So I caught up. It's um, just called walking or standing. <laughs> to me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, you know, riding his big dick stallion across the store, going Department of Truth. Jimmy TIV, Department of Truth, Jimmy TIV. Um, and so I tried to size him up and, you know, it was cool. The end. Uh, did you read all three issues? <laughs> yeah. Okay. 
have them all right here. So this, this issue follows the two people that we've been reading about going to the house of a woman whose kid was killed in a school shooting and who has um, gone down some internet rabbit holes reading about false flags and um, paid, paid, what, what are they called? Paid actors? Like, oh, uh, yeah. False actors or pay uh, actor actor, actor butts or whatever. Yeah. Um, and you know the the conceit behind the whole series is that if something is believed in hard enough, uh, if a conspiracy theory is believed in hard enough, then it'll actually become real. And so, so can the, I expose my crazy conspiracy theory right now? Yeah, I think there is some amount of truth to that. Oh, it just it just Flat. happened. Thanks to you believing that belief has to be collective reality now it is right yeah i think that there's some of that that somehow is true so i like that conceit of the concept of yeah of this book. they did a cool a cool way you know the like conceit of the book is just like i'm going to each issue do a different conspiracy theory and have this detective team follow it through yeah they're kind of meta tie through it i was that conceit that reality is collectively controlled and so agreed upon right if everyone believes in something really hard mm-hmm. it becomes a thing i i like that way of tying that narrative and also you know my deep woo-woo parts think that there's some truth to that in some way well i think reality that it takes, becomes truth evolves along you know it's an evolutionary process i think that it takes uh something that for most purposes does happen if right. everybody believes that oswald shot kennedy and he might as well have shot Kennedy. Right. Right. And the only, the, the big thing that this does is it changes it so that if everybody like believes that there's a wall it. at the end of the world, then a wall materializes at the end of the world. But I think that there's, uh, there's definitely something to be said for belief making things, it, whether, whether it makes it true or real. Um, right. It doesn't right. have to be both. Right. Well, like Christianity is nothing but a set of ideas, but what has changed the world more than Christianity? You know, yeah. it's just stuff in people's heads, but gravity. Look what it's like looks what it's done to the history of human culture. Yeah. Yeah. You can't. Yeah. There's such a narcissism to conspiracy theory. And so I was just like, ugh, writer at the top of his career where everyone's like hyping everything. Is this the top? Oh, bud. Well, oh, like, Jim. at that time, everything was like, oh, he's so, fu-, you know, Batman guy. And now his image book, I was like, oh, God, he's going to try to make a meta conspiracy. I just he, realized he that well. he's evolved and now he's just Jim. He was, you yeah. know, <laughs> James Tinney in the fourth. Then he was Jimmy T. Ivy. And now I'm just like, oh, Jim. Jim. I just call him oh, the V. Jim. Yeah, the V. The D- yeah, TV. This fits in well with my own, you know, my own ministry that I'm building up. And, you know, I'm, I'm taking good lessons from this book. Okay. Um, I'm. This is such a. This issue is devastating. I mean, this poor mm-hmm. woman, you know, in isolation. How she, in isolation and grief and anger, um, because her son's murder is just kind of ignored, and people are hating on her and saying it's it didn't really happen or that she's a bad actor and all this. A crisis way, actor. Is yeah, crisis, crisis actor. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the way she in in all that and her isolation spirals into going online and eventually believing you know the bullshit conspiracy theories and stuff and then the way that our secret agency here 
manipulates that supposedly for the greater good. I mean, it's just all uncomfortable and, and you feel so bad by the end. I was like, oh my God, this, this book really makes me feel horrible. I don't, I don't think that they manipulated it for the greater good. They stopped this. Like they, they knocked her out and, and. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah. Like tried to make her seem crazier so that this doesn't become a, more of a reality or any, any other reality. Right. And, that, and that's for the greater good. Yeah. Okay. They're trying not okay. to. They're trying to maintain the status yeah. quo. Yeah, yeah. But it's all, yeah. but it ends up, you know, unfortunately sacrificing her. Yeah. And, it's, and, 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 ugh. and her <laughs> chance thought... that her son's alive. Like they're keeping her son dead. She could kind of will him back into reality by saying it was all fake. But right. they're keeping her with the truth, which keeps her son dead. This is a, did a thing where like sometimes really sad things, my brain doesn't know really what to do. So I just get really pissed off. Like sometimes <laughs> when thing like the whole Nexium media stuff, like I get just angry every episode, just like wanting to rage and throw something at something. Like sometimes sad gets turned to anger. I give it a seven. Um, you know, I, I went through my dick around like Django has about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think mean, I'll start it. Dude just uh, loves to throw his dick. Right. A part of it is like, this is Django art. He, you know, he loves a good, I was trying to think of if, do you think that Bill Sienkiewicz is heroin and Dennis, what's his name that you talk about is meth. You love a drugged out art. Uh, he Roman does. Act. I, I'm not sure how you feel about a, a super drug trippy art, but it's a little hard for me to follow. Um, I think the story is good enough, even though I have a particular allergy as a former conspiracy theorist, kind of. You know, art-wise, this feels like mixed media, but it's barely <laughs> mixed media. You know, like if it feels like it would be a lot of collages and, and cut and paste, but that's barely... I guess that's kind of cool, though, given yeah, the like themes of this book. Yeah, it's it's like mostly just different styles of drawing things. Really, really well done. I, I don't I don't know what Roman's going to say, but I'm going to give it. I'm going to give this issue a duck that is gooey. Whoa! Wait, is that Damn. three three gooeys for Django it's tonight? Two. That's two it's tonight. two tonight, and that's the stingiest so I've ever far, seen. At least <laughs> one last. I don't know what happened to him in the pandemic, but he became a man who tend on things okay can yeah, you just apparently me he can get his tenant no roman what do you give it <laughs> wow um i'll give it a nine i'll give it a nine and a half see i, I was almost going to give it a 10 but i've got a couple other 10s coming up probably so can i give you my conspiracy theory as to why Django gave it a gooey because you guys believed in me it was inside of me all along <sighs> no Roman, Dr. Do number nine, Christopher Cantwell, Salvador LaRocca, Guru FX. Guru FX becoming one of my favorite colorists in the business. Um, I'm dead serious. Uh, I don't know if it's a person or a collective. What? Writer. Fire of the Marvel Universe? The writer for the television show Halt and Catch Fire is Christopher Cantwell. He wrote this comic book. Guru FX is doing the coloring, but they do the coloring in the X-Force book with Joshua Kassara. And last week I was like, this dude's coloring is amazing. Or it's a group of people. And last week I... Last week, I was going on about Christopher Cantwell on Iron Man. Yeah. Did you read this? You read this issue, Dr. Doom? Oh, yeah. What a fun issue that was all... I kept being like, what is this issue? Like, the first third of it is, like, Dr. Doom is, like, doing a thing where he's going to save Earth because of the moon and a gravitational thing. And he's like, I'm going to... And I blocked off an hour of television time on every network after I saved the planet. And I'm going to announce to everyone that I'm no longer a villain. And I'm going to be their hero. 
and they're going to love me. And the most telling line of dialogue in Roman, I loved it so much. And I thought about you and I taking our shirts off and rolling around with one another in a deep, <laughs> deep area. And this is just me trying to buy time until I find the line of dialogue that I'm looking for. He's, he's like getting ready to be out on TV after he saves the world. He's like, and then I will rule all of earth with great humility with humility the <laughs> likes of which the world has never seen. <laughs> and that's like my favorite Doctor Doom line. I am so modest. Yeah, and then that's, as that's he, a great line. And he's about to save the world and Reed is like, I should probably say something, right? And like Captain America's like, I don't know, you don't have to. And he's like, he's doing a good thing. And Reed's like, I don't know, like, just feels icky. He's a bad guy. And, and Captain America's like, I don't know, seems on the level to me. And he's like, yeah, just a bummer that he's so pleased with himself. And I'm like, well, I get that <laughs> feeling of just like when someone you don't like is making a good play. You're just like, I don't know. I don't like him. But then right as, you know, Dr. Doom is about to do this whole thing. Reed sends him a voicemail. It's like a video chat. And he's like, Hey dude, just wanted to say good luck. And Dr. Doom's like, what do you mean? Good luck. He's like, just like, you know, good luck. And I think you're doing good. He's like, well, you'd only say luck if you don't think this is going to succeed. He's like, no, I think it's going to succeed. I just wanted to make sure, you know, I support you. He's like, well, of course, well, it's, I, I, don't, I don't need your support because this is a totally perfect system. He's like, I know, I think it's a perfect system. That's why I'm here. He's like, well, if it's a perfect system, you would say it's a perfect system. And Reed's like, I said that a minute ago. And then I like went through the pages. I was like, did he say that? Like all of this, like, totally pedantic bullshit between these two adults happens on pages of nine panel grid in this comic and it's all just a voicemail call between reed and dr doom and then reed's like all right this is over good luck and doom hangs up and then doom is like he's got his doom bots with him and he's like do you think he knew oh, sorry roman please can, can i interrupt just yeah but but right before reed hangs up he says, I'm not going to argue semantics with you. And Doom's reaction is a great side shot where he's just yelling. And he says, of course, it's because of, of course, of course, because it's an argument you would lose. Yeah, it's the most childish, <laughs> like, of course it is. And then they, they've finished and Doom is like, all right, I've got to do this thing. that is this high profile thing. And he starts being like, I don't know, maybe the, the polarity needs to be reversed because like, is that what Reed said? And he starts talking to his Doom bots. He's like, guys, is something wrong? Like, why would, and all of his Doom bots are programmed to think like he is and paranoid. <laughs> so then they're like, you're right. It is weird. He said something. Maybe it's this. And they all, they all start going off on a paranoid tangent. And then he fucks it up. And the end of this issue is him blowing up the moon. <laughs> Yeah. and and it oh, ends God. with him like blaming like oh, reed knew this this is what reed planned and now i <laughs> fucked up and it's just the best like vintage fantastic four and modern fan like it's like childish banter meditation but also, on neuroses as well. yeah <laughs> but it's these two adult men who have this ridiculous competition anyway i just it was yeah, it, hilarious and great it was it, it was so oh it was so great and and it was also at least for me, was ambiguous enough. I was like, until the last scene with Reed and Cap in the issue, until that scene, I was like, did Reed do that on purpose? Did he purposely sabotage Doom? I mean, that's no really, really petty to fucking, you know, sabotage Doom so he destroys the moon because just well, you, you want to get in his head. Well, then, the only way you'll know is if Reed can fix the moon. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and when he's talking to Cap, Reed's talking to Cap at the end. I was like, oh, no, okay. Reed didn't purposely do anything there. It was all doom. It'd be very much. Uh, what's his, what's Sherlock Holmes' bad guy's name? Moriarty. Moriarty. Yeah, Moriarty. Yeah. That'd be very yeah. Moriarty of. Yeah, but, but, but just the fact that I, I had that enough doubt, even though I know Reed Richards' character after all these years, 
is another like sign of the great writing that I was wondering about that for a second. <laughs> I've got and I do. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I think it just does wonders to elucidate doom psyche. And it made me like, it's not like the regal mighty doom that I love. Cause there's like this petty humanity to it, but I love that. I think that Reed and doom are the most brilliant men but if you put them in a room together, they kind of become 17-year-olds who are still trying to <laughs> compete to think that the other one, I want the other one to know I'm better than him. So. so Yeah, this was the best like read and doom thing since Pikmin was writing them. Mm-hmm. What, what do you guys give it? <laughs> uh, April 5. <laughs> I'm going to give that one a 10. Oh, gooey. oh, goo on the table. <laughs> From oh, the my DC God. Bottom. I asked you to just dump on my chest about it, but you gooed <laughs> on my chest about it. And that's... Django, do you know how to get to the underground super hip get uncle, him. uncle Get ben? him. Get him. How do you get there? Well, you take out your uncle keys and you put them in this uncle door. Django's uncle's <laughs> Uber Indie Underground Power Hour. What is you your uncle's keys name? for that. And listen, you go down these stairs and up the next ones. I'll go up these stairs and down the next ones. I'll meet you on the other side. My uncle's name is Bilquis. Evely? <laughs> Evely time. Which one are you talking about? Well, um, I, we both read something, right? I no, was going to talk about the red. Oh, the red. I was oh, going to talk about we only walk home with monsters. Oh, well. Django, indie meets indie. Justin, oh. give him a run for it. But Justin, talk about that. I choose, you get the help of Roman to take down this beast. I walk oh. home with monsters. Roman, you have we only, we only walk downstairs when the monsters are dead. And they've fed us. Yes. <laughs> We've only been fed monsters down. Okay. <laughs> First of all, Roman. Uh-huh. This book's fucked up. That's why, that's why I read it because it's by Paul Cornell, and I've liked a lot of his stuff in the past. I don't know who that is. He's, um, he's one of them British writers, done a lot of TV, did a lot of Doctor Who and comics and on TV. Okay. So he's got that British dark fucked up thing yeah. going on for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. What is Nightfall? Do you guys know what, like, it's like, is that their horror imprint? I think it's on Optimal. Ob- 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 Autumnal. Um, sure. I kind of like this book. Um, what happened? What's it about? Um, oh, Jamie, stuff. did you not read it? Yeah. You don't already know? It, I was going to butt chug it, but these guys already had them. You don't already know? I don't. Yeah. Oh, nothing. Well, I, I probably it's not even worth explaining it. He's point. on the ropes. <laughs> like I don't even have to tell you what it's about. Like maybe I didn't read it, but you know, if you don't know, then. All right, let me guess. Let me guess just based on the title. What's the title? I walk with monsters. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I think that it's about we um, monsters. I, I think that it's about a young lady who was normal for a while and then realized that she could be around monsters and <laughs> kind of like she could hang out with them, but not be one. And she's trying to get rid of the bad ones. Close Roman. Tell them what it's really about. Hey, you monsters. I can hang. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, well, it's about this young lady. I don't know about her past or whatever, but she's got a buddy who becomes a her monster. Brother. Oh, it's her brother. And in the very beginning, there's this guy, this like serial killer guy that's going to kill her. But very Roman. Her brother take. He does have some great lines. Um, her, bro- <laughs> her brother like monsters out and takes out this this poor sap, and it's very cool. Um, and yeah, then, so it's and then oh, they start their adventure. <laughs> it sounds like a brother and a sister kind of get themselves kidnapped or abducted by some really nasty, nasty buddies. 
Um, and then when right when nasty monster guys are going to like hack him up and do horrible kidnapper things, bro jumps out and is like this fucked up evil multi-eyed hell dog thing. Uh, and he kills the fuck out of him. All the while we're flashing back to maybe she and her brother were involved. I don't get the family dynamic or if, if they're adopted, but the flashbacks when they're kids is fucked up. Is, is the dad guy eating people? Okay, that confused me too. I was going to ask about because at first, I mean, I mean, I like the art, but at first yeah. I, I wasn't sure if these two characters on the farm with the bearded dad were the same brother and sister that we have the same seen. names. Yeah, it's oh, Jackie and Jake. Okay. okay, I wasn't sure if that was their next case or if that was actually them in flashback. And yeah, it's not clear. Apparently, the father's either, you know, a. a a, a guy wanders through town. He's a druggie, and and dad hires him to do some work on the farm. And then apparently, he's gonna eat the guy or sacrifice the guy to something to be eaten. But there's yeah. some weird stuff in the art with no, no dialogue at the dinner table when, um, this this passer passerby guy says something, and then the dad looks at him slight kind of side eyes, but the kid, the the passerby dude, the blonde dude. He looks kind of side eye too, and I'm not quite sure. Are they up to something in cahoots or what's going Maybe on? Maybe that's from the prequel. We only eat with monsters. We only sit at the <laughs> dinner table and eat with monsters. We only um, eat with monsters when they're dead. They like, yeah, the art is good, but the the panels are large, four to maybe five panel grids with huge gutters. Huh. And so there's not a lot of like transitionary storytelling. And then there's, yeah, there's some like facial inferences, but it's just a little too clunky to really make out what they're telling each other. Um, so I, I kind of lost the whole backstory, but I was able to get that a, a, a brother and a sister, whether they're adopted or not, are traveling around the United States, getting people, getting killers caught and eating them with uh, monster powers. And the reveal at the end is that maybe dad gave brother to a, a politician they call the impressive man because they can't remember his name and i thought it was cool like he like goes into this carnival and he's maybe given to this politician and his face is just like crayoned out you can't see who he is yeah and, and, and same when he introduces himself it, it's crayoned out except for like the last two letters that sounds yeah. like some uh, department of truth action there it is uh, yeah. it's funny that that theme kind of both came up and then yeah and they drive away the daughter and the dad and he just says you won't be seeing your brother again yeah, and somehow they're they're back. They've met back up, and in modern day, they're traveling, they're hitchhiking, trying to find another killer, and they stumble upon that carnival. And there's a vote for this politician, um, and his name's like something man because there's grass covering his name, so that it's implying that maybe that was the guy back then. Yeah, yeah. but they did. But they and it's funny they're talking about, but they didn't see that side of the sign because right. when you see it from their perspective they're on the other side and it's about the fair they don't see that the guy they're looking for there's his sign and his picture right there i was surprised how ballsy it is like this guy is straight up abducting children and eating them now justin when you say you were surprised at how straight up ballsy it was i yeah. it, the way that i heard that was that i was surprised at how like straight up indie underground <laughs> like hip like just like kind of around a corner and then Uncle hidden H. in the shadow of a corner store that you don't even go to. What do you guys give it? Well, Roman, do you have anything else you want to add? Um, I know, you know. No, no I'll get. What's wrong with Jeff's audio? 
I'll, I'll give it a six. I'm, really I'm good. I'm good. I'll give, I'll give it a six because the art confused me. Yeah. I, or maybe uh, the transitions confused me. Something confused me. I'll give it a six five. I was impressed with like, they didn't dance around it. Like they're straight up hunting like child abductors and, and gross people and eating the fuck out of them. There's like naked bro bro eating the serial killer. Um, and he's all bloody and he's like, don't look at me do it because I'm all bloody and nasty and he's this naked man. So, uh, which is pretty like, you know, cool if you're into like naked men eating people. Welcome to the Indie Zone. Damn, if, you, if this was a Seattle podcast, that's a 995 easy. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I'm, you know, I've, uh, I like Star Wars again. I've relapsed on my indie cred. You know, I'm reading <laughs> superhero books and I love Star Wars again. So I don't quite have the, uh, the palette for for hot indie books anymore that's why i'm going down to de- uncle uncle indy's indie basement is trying <laughs> to get my indie skills back um i read a thumbnail number three that's good that's a good, a good slow creepy comic i also read the red <laughs> chapter one from virus which i think is a heavy metal imprint the whole thing has ads every few pages for in world government agencies that's cool yeah, it's, it's loves that. probably like a 40-page comic or 48-page comic. It's just kind of a, a generic future dystopian story where... Did you say 40 pages? 40, 48 pages. It's a, it's a fat yeah. comic. I've started counting my pages in my comics. Am I broken? No. I don't read comics that end in even numbers oh, as far man. as page count. <laughs> that's that's a good that. call. Um, basically, it's a future where anything that gives you rage uh it says without rage there would be no murder without lust no rape without jealousy no theft you get the idea so the government has a way of calculating whether art or anything really will cause what they call like red things equilibrium yeah yeah it's basically equilibrium so everybody's got to take a pill a few times a day um you know, it's it. You can you can still have a bar playing live music, but you have to go to the underground bar behind the bar to find the real cool music. Hey Django, you know where that is? Yeah, he would. Hey Django, I just had an idea while we were talking about this because I was like, on Tuesday, I was like, did I order this or was this like a thing they sent us as a comp copy? And it was on the invoice, so I ordered it. So I just thought, let's get on Diamond and see if I ordered it. And I did, in fact, order this book. I ordered three copies of this book with no orders for it. So I thought, why would I order this book? And I read the solicitation and then it gave me the idea. What if we started reading some solicitations for books for like weird ones or just like, hey, this is what we knew going in. How does it match? So Django, <laughs> in the distant future, this is why I ordered this book was okay. the art on the cover by John Lamb and this, this description. Sales copy. In the distant future, a nuclear world war has changed the course of history forever. A single government entity now presides over what's left of the world and prohibits certain content that is deemed emotionally dangerous or red in an attempt to maintain order and keep society working. A collection of gifted musicians who possess the rare ability to create red content discover they are key to overthrowing the totalitarian government, and that has taken the emotional freedom from them. Does that seem accurate? And I guess as soon as they said the musicians, that's why, oh, Jeff ordered it because there was musicians in it. That's a huge pitch. It's a huge pitch. That's what I'm working with on all these number ones that we get many of every week. And so that that one made it to the three quantity mark. Yeah, um, it's, it's pretty good. 
it's like the first like, chapter of the book. I'm going to start doing yeah. the diamond pitch for the Django Uber Indie Underground Power Hour books. Evolution. I love, I love it. it. Oh, jinx. Um, I, I would say this is way better than I expected it to be. It read faster than a comic this thick should. It was thick. Yeah. Like, did you read it? I pulled it off the shelf. I was like, I'm going to fucking size Django up. Felt how thick it was. It. Felt how thick this was. I was like, this is way shorter. I can guarantee I can <laughs> get through this. He's talking about I Walk With Monsters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, would, I would give this uh, seven, but I'm going to subtract one full point for not putting a motherfucking barcode on your comic. So we are tastemakers and influencers. And if you want to you lose are. a point, barcode it. Don't barcode it if you want to lose that point. But if you Six. want to get that point, put the barcode on it. Bar get that point. Good. Now, Justin and Roman, I got to fucking talk to you for a goddamn oh. second. Oh, no, not again. Uh -oh. It's X-Men books. <laughs> oh. Hey. Swords. Swords. It's swords. Yep. Rhythm. Okay, so. Um, I did this for you, Jeff. Oh, thank you. I was you like, me. I know he read them. I will. I I I'm going to be Scott. confused. Uh, X-Men 15, Excalibur 15, and X of Swords Destruction. Uh, that is 20, 21, and 22 of this whole thing. Um, I'm going to do a real quick one and let's talk about it. The, the first issue was an X-Men-centric issue, and what this did is it followed up on the cable issue from last week that focused on him sending a psychic message out to Gene and Scott saying, Mom and Dad, we're getting our asses kicked over here. In other world, we're definitely going to lose this competition. I need help. And then Saturnine was like, you can't do that. I bet she said that from Roma Regina and sent that message. What was cool about this issue is it had the one shot of Nightcrawler saying like, man, I'm getting kind of horny for swords. No one gave me a sword. And I'm like the only person here who swashed buckles. And, I, and Roman has complained multiple times about how, you know, Nightcrawler just hasn't been given the opportunity to be horny for swords yet. So that was cool. <laughs> I sent him that picture that night. And then the, the fight starts, the start, we start the final battle of the competition and it's Apocalypse versus Annihilation. It's almost as if Jonathan Hickman, who's leading this entire X-Men universe thing, really only needed for Apocalypse and Annihilation, his wife, to fight. And yet he gathered a bunch of artists to write and art writers to write 20 issues to fill the gap between those two realizing they needed to fight and them actually fighting. But here we've done it. We've sealed the gap. The things have happened, and those two are fighting. With swords? Those right. two actually use swords. John, our, our money printer broke again. We needed to write 22, 22 <laughs> issues. What can you do? He's like, swords. And they're like, done. No, he was like, I don't know. Hire all the other writers. I just need this stuff done. Get 20 issues from other people. Enter Teeny Howard, Excalibur, number 15. And in this issue, I just, you know... The, the previous issue, Justin, you read the previous issue, a lot of talking heads. Yeah, there were some cool moments in that last one. Uh, them saying, hey, Nightcrawler, you stay here. You're the only soul of this place. I like that. There's lots he of was like, but I'm kind of horny for swords. Yeah, he was like, boing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he was blade boingy. Um, my, my point Scott is that cool. that issue was a lot of talking heads, but it kind of sings. Like mm -hmm. a Hickman talking head issue Oh, we love is, it. I love it. And then Excalibur 15 is mostly a teeny Howard talking head issue. And it is just, you know, to quote someone, there's no poetry. There's no. just no poetry <laughs> in it. Um, but this issue, which is the penultimate issue of this entire 22 chapter book, you've read 21 chapters of a book. You're in the second to last chapter. And the biggest moment that you assume of this entire event happens. And that event 
is Saturnine reforming the Captain Britain Corps. That was a big deal. I assume. Yeah, yeah no, like, they, exactly. treated, they treated it as such. I didn't get it. Exactly. Like, that's my point is like the biggest event, like the penultimate, the cliffhanger of the, the second to last issue is the reformation of the Captain Britain Corps. And I bet if you've read Alan Moore's, you know, stuff in that era, and if you've read Excalibur, I bet that is really cool. Yeah. I think it's a bummer that I have read every chapter of this. I have read <laughs> almost every Dawn of X issue I. that has come out to this point. And like that just hits me as like, I bet that that would be cooler if I had lived my life different. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's, that's neither here nor there. That was the climax of that. I brought that up with Brayton, who's also been reading all of this and has been enjoying it. And he was like, yeah, I've been reading all of Excalibur and I got that kind of, and I've only missed a couple issues of Excalibur and I get it kind of. It's just like, it seemed like it was emotional, but if it was going to be the main emotional beat, that like there should have been more of that in the story. And I, yeah, Roman, please. Yeah, it's uh and it's funny, I read all the, all the original Excalibur and some of the, the actual British Captain Britain stories. And, this, and it still landed like, oh, I didn't know that was like something that was important in any way. So now Is I'm that wondering. Cool? I guess that's cool. I guess it's they cool. They seem pretty I mean, strong. I mean, the idea <laughs> of having all these different versions of so-and-so is always kind of cool. Yeah. Though, I do, I, though I do wonder now, oh, is this also leading into like, their, one of their new 2021 titles is going to be like Captain Britain and the Captain Britain Corps. <laughs> and like, is that X-Men? I think you're onto it. Now, some of them are mutants, so kind of X-Men adjacent. But this whole thing ends with, you know, Scott and Gene are like, shit, we got to go help Cable. All of you mutants come with us. So they, you know, jump into there, into Otherworld. And then Arako also has all of their baddies come because they have summoners summon a bunch of baddies so all the good cthulhu guys are in the gang yeah cthulhu in the gang all the good guys are finding <laughs> all the bad guys on Otherworld, and you know then they the good guys show robo up guy who are these robo bugs well it's, exactly they don't ever talk about the robo bugs the robo bugs show they, up they fuck shit up though everyone's they, afraid of them but like yeah. who are those robo bugs are those robo-bugs related to the giant Imperial Star Destroyer? Not, yeah, Star Destroyer that showed up. The giant Star Destroyer that I had forgotten about was like the big final page reveal of the first issue. This whole thing was like they were on this Star Destroyer thing. That Does that it have turns, to do with the daddy egg from like issue nine and ten? I don't, I don't know. As, oh, as that's much as sword, it, right? It's sword, yeah. Sword is the daddy, is the star, it's like a giant star destroyer with rings around it that um, gets technically jumped. Technically, it's pronounced S-W-O-R-D. I like that. <laughs> but I guess all of that is kind of noise that happens, but there's this great moment while Apocalypse is fighting his wife where he's like, I'm gonna, I don't, I'm not, I'm hard, I'll kill you. And he like almost kills her. And then she's like, oh shit. And then she puts on the mask of Arako, like the mask of Amanth, who is the mother spirit of the demon world. That has, the mother spirit. And he puts, she puts that on and then That's she cool starts helmet. fighting. It's a great helmet. She starts fighting Apocalypse and then Apocalypse almost bests her, grabs the helmet off of her and then the helmet latches onto him. And there's this great moment of like Apocalypse has become Ameth, and that is very cool. And he's like, the most ballsy thing that I can do is surrender. Cool, he lo- and you get that moment of like, oh shit. He calls himself Apocalypse Annihilation. He's double fisting the end of the world. The most ballsy thing he can do is surrender? 
Yeah, dude. Cause like it's he's char- like, like he all he wants to do is destroy, and the only thing he can do to save his his people name is Apocalypse. Is sacrifice. Like it, it does show a big character moment for Apocalypse. I felt that impact was awesome. Like he actually cares about Krakoa and his people more than anything else, and he's gonna sacrifice and his family, I guess. But that's not a very apocalypse thing to like, no, I'm gonna end this by forfeiting. Right. And then Saturnine's like, you're right, this is dope, it's done. I don't know. I don't <laughs> even know. There's bugs here now. I, there's bugs here now. I guess it's a tie. It's because it's bugs. a tie, because, you know, Araka loses and Krakoa surrenders, you guys both get to do, I'm going to grant both of you a wish. You both get to pick one mutant to come back to your world. So Araka lady says, what does she say? You. Oh, she says Apocalypse. <laughs> Right. So Apocalypse is now going to leave our world and go to Araco and to Ameth and the, the demon world that Araco was sentenced to. And then they're like, Apocalypse, what mutant do you want to bring over? And he's like, I bring the entire island. I take the entire mutant island of Araco. And so they're like, that's a pretty big fucking mutant, but I guess we'll do it. And <laughs> then all of Araco gets to come to Krakoa now. So that's very big. Which and was awesome because they point out that because Araco has all the all these mutant prisoners from Krakoa, so Apocalypse just took took the enemy island and got all their people back. Yeah, he freed them all. And, and now the enemy island and the good island. Yep. Django's doing a finger fucking babies. gesture. There's gonna but be all kinds the of the question is now do Apocalypse and Genesis, his wife, do they just hang out in the void and Ameth together or are they coming back on Araco? I think they're doing the Brady Bunch thing with their family down in down in the void. Okay. Yeah, it's pr- it's pretty it's pretty awesome that and the Apocalypse is another villain I from the 90s I've never cared about. This series, this X of Swords has made me care about and like Mr. Sinister and made me care about Apocalypse. Cuz at Mr. the end Sinister of this is fucking awesome. At the end yeah. of this Apocalypse like does this noble thing and he gets to go off with his wife and children that he hasn't seen for thousands. Start a sitcom. Yeah, I was like, wow, cool. And for those who have read it, or those who haven't read it, um, Cipher got married to one of the bad ladies, and that has become very compelling. And I love that. Like Cipher, I missed that. I like that. That guy. was in some issues in the middle of this. It was like, oh right, this duel is these people. And then it somehow it just became Cypher got married to the unbeaten one. Oh, the and, kind of robotic looking chip. Yeah. Chick. So and, she was like, I like your arm. And he's like, I like your whole thing. And like. Whole thing. And there's like a whole wedding. Cer- like, a, like a whole issue goes into a wedding ceremony before the whole tournament. It doesn't make any fucking sense. And I love it. <laughs> um, and, and, I, yeah. There's all sorts of great little plot threads like Wolverine and Solomon, Salmon? Yeah, yeah. Both Solomon, have one of, yeah. Yeah, both have one of the Murakami swords now, and those are going to come into conflict. And he has a debt to him. So, like, you're right. Yeah. It, it was not meaningful as a 22-chapter singular narrative. But if you view it more as the primary stock of a tree that was growing for 22 issues and created the root system and branch strength to provide the scaffolding for stories to come off of the spine of it. Girth, if you will. Like, you know, there, there are a lot of story threads to explore off of this kind of waste of 22 chapters. Like it was fucking, man, what a waste. Like 
like W A I S T. Right? It, like it kind of reminds me of Infinity. The waste trunk of the. No, I think body. Justin. Justin, I wouldn't listen to anything you said. I think you're right. <laughs> I, was... I think you're totally right. I think that I don't. I don't think that Hickman has done an event in a way that feels like like Infinity and Secret Wars and this. None of them feel like singular narratives like they're all they all seem like things that justify the next jumping on off point of like stories after them they're not and there are moments in in like in infinity where i was like this is cool i don't know why i read this many issues to get me here but it's not gratifying yeah in the way that like i couldn't sit down with infinity or secret wars or this and enjoy it in the way that you could sit down and read blackest night or Infinity Crisis, or right. Infinite Crisis, or something like that. I have, it, it's a different type of thing. I have some follow-up it's questions. so huge. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, please follow-up questions. Now, now that we've reached the end of this um, Hickman orchestrated torture machine. <laughs> yeah, um, I took that for you. I was going to do it anyway. All 10 of the swords. But I took all 10 of those I'm, swords from I'm glad my precious you, man. You took it out loud for me. Um, I always do. First question. One. Other than Wolverine and whoever, do they all get to keep the swords that they adventured to find and then never got to use in their battles? No, like Storm returned her sword that she spent an entire issue stealing from Did she have to? Or did she just, oh, I don't need to. Out of honor, like she stole it. Okay. Yeah. But some of the swords, yeah, some are were lost on the field of battle. Some disappeared. Isn't one actually the death ship? Like that's counted as a sword. Some got broken. SWRD yeah. ship. Yeah, because that's yeah. the sword ship. Yeah. Yeah, it was like the tenth sword. Yeah. Some of the swords the got broken. Apocalypse's sword got heaven's shattered. boner. Okay. Okay. Um, my next question is: In Secret Wars, you could read the core. What was it eight, seven, or eight issues? Yeah. And, then and those were spicy. Like two mm. or three series that were pretty necessary for the context for the rest of it. Like you needed the Marvel zombies story in order to understand why the Marvel zombies were coming through the gate at the end of the last issue or whatever. Like there, there are a couple true. of those that tied in pretty closely to the, the main crossover. The rest of it, you could just kind of discard and, and read if it interests you. Mm-hmm. How many of these do you think you would need to read to feel like you got a whole sandwich and a soda? Well, Django, I'll tell you. It would be the Hickman written X-Men issues and the three one shots. And that's it? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think any of the other stuff is had had turning points or anything that were it would important. flavor it and it would give you a lot of context. But I think that and I think that and I think that's the thing that sort of Justin brought up in my mind, which is worth thinking about is like it's not written in it's it's not written as like a trunk that you get to the end of and are satisfied. The tip of a tree isn't satisfying. That's not the end of a story. I think the purpose of this is to create a thing where things grow out from it. So if you want to understand what this was, I think you can just read X-Men and those three one shots. And Mm -hmm. it gives you the main beats of there's this tournament that was established. Everyone got swords. They all fought, but then it really didn't fight. But mostly this was all addressing about the relationship between Krakoa and Arako, and that is what it's explored in the main X-Men issues. Everything else is ancillary, which is why I think when Justin brought up a while ago that like it seems like there's the Hickman half and the Teeny Howard half, the Hickman's half is more like a third, and that's why I was reading this. And there's two-thirds of this story that is like this magical fantasy story of a tournament, but all of that sort of ended where it started 
mm-hmm. and had some stuff happen. And if you like a tournament story and if you like some romance stories within the X-Men, which I do think is a core part of the X-Men. I think the sort of, you know, like insular nature of the X-Men and the, like, the relationships that all cross over, all of that is an inherent X-Men thing. So I think- They love a wedding. Yeah, they do. And there's a lot of that in this. But I think if you were just looking for like, how does this relate to the Hickman universe and the Hickman X-Men, which is why I was here, you could just read the three one-shots and then the X-Men core books. Okay. Uh, Two more questions and they're quick. Would you call the law offices Hickman, Howard, and Summers or Hickman, Howard, and Hewlett? I would call it the James T. Sokolov. The law office of James T. Sokolov. <laughs> uh, what do you guys give it? Uh, the whole thing and separately, just the good parts. Oh, man. <laughs> I that was kind of two questions in one. Yeah, that's two questions in one. Well, then I had three when I said I had two. Oh, man. And, and we forgot to mention one of the other things this is leading into. I'm giving us all a chance to think about how to score that. The next um, of swords. Well, no, in the issue, what is this, X-Men 15, before Scott goes against the quiet quiet council's wishes, and so does Gene, and, uh, oh, yeah, and Sebastian Shaw brings up the fact, well, if you guys do this, let's take a vote, and if you guys do this, we don't want you to, let's take a vote. If you do this, you can't come back and be on the council. So now Gene and Scott, and was there a third person from the quiet council? That it was landed? just the two of them, but... Okay, it was Gene and Scott, but they also lost Apocalypse. So now the Quiet Council... They disbanded the X-Men, too. And they disbanded the idea of the X-Men. Yeah, they disbanded the X-Men. So now the Quiet Council, you know, Scott, I feel like Shaw is doing a power play here. It's like Trump, you know, stacking the Supreme Court. It's totally a metaphor or overt reference to, like, yeah, absolutely, America and (laughs) the idea of stacking the court system right now. Because it is... And And that leads... That reminds me of a question I had when I read it. But the one person they didn't ask when they're in the council and talking about all this, even though he's listening, they never asked um, Krakoa because originally I thought Krakoa didn't want them to go over there and and they can't the talk to Krakoa without Cipher can yeah. Oh right, so I wonder if Krakoa is going to be pissed off about how the Quiet Council Shaw, you know, the new way the council's doing things now. That's a good point. It's a good thing Cipher will be actually able to come back and not die. Yeah, and he can come back, right? He's not stuck in wherever he married. Right, I I I think they all are like refugees now that get to come back. So, Justin, you read like the Hickman stuff. Yeah, what do you Mm -hmm. give it? Um, I would give it a seven. Like, I'm pretty confused about some of the long and short of it, but I kind of wrapped it up as like in House of and Powers of Hoxpox, there were kind of these few moments where they were like, oh, here's a one-off thing. Here's a one-off thing. One was like, oh, now there's Krakoa and Arako. And we knew that. And like Powers of Ten, number four, they mentioned that. And they showed that first schism and the four children. And Mm -hmm. like, it seemed like Hickman was seeding a bunch of stuff for everything he can do going forward in that. And to me, it felt like, oh, this is just that story. Right. And now we're going to go on to the next thing. And to me, it felt a little more of an accessory story than like something that's super, super pivotal. So it was fun. I kind of feel like I'm, I was allowed to check out, which is fine because I wasn't super interested in it. 
And I don't think like the next year of X-Men reading is going to totally suck because I miss this, you know, mm-hmm. like it feels like, okay, well, you know, there's some new, some new rules. What I'm really glad I read and thank God it was actually part of X-Men is the Shaw stuff. Cause I feel like that's on Krakoa. There's a political coup essentially going on. Mm-hmm. At least a low, a low key one where Shaw's like, let's kick these people out who disagree with me. You know, I feel like that is more of a Hickman style plot mechanism yeah. as well as, it will play out. So I liked it in a way that I know, or at least at this point, I feel like I'm not super missing out on, you know, the next 10 years of X-Men because of this, this thing. Romy, what, you, what, what about you? Um, <clears throat> what was the question? What do I give it overall? And what do I give? Just, just the, the good parts. Just the good parts. Just the good parts. I Just the good parts I'd give uh, probably an 8.5, maybe a nine for the best parts. Cause I was only mainly reading the, the ones I'd read anyway, which was the Hickman issues. Um, and maybe if something had a cool cover like Wolverine, I'd read that. Overall, I, hmm. is Wolverine still kind of hot? Oh, he's always hot. We should see him hold a, hold a sword. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he do. He's got them in his hands. He doesn't even need to hold them. I'd give the whole thing an 8.5, but that's from the point of privilege of like, if you check this out from a library as a paperback and you read it start to finish, like I, I think that as an issue by issue weekly comic series, I think it fell short a little bit. I think the, and I think the really good parts are a nine. I think more than it is good, it is interesting. There's not a lot of comic book ecosystems where you can experiment in this way. Um, do, that's everything we've got, guys. Oh, we were going to do Marvel number four? Yeah, I, I know. I was hoping you forgot. I looked at my notes. It's, it's gone, and we've been going for two hours and 45 no, no, minutes. We don't, we don't need I feel bad. I feel bad. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know, I can do like a, a Mary Marvel minute. Get and, it, you oh, fucking yeah, buck Listen, <laughs> we're still going. Buck shot me. 60, think about 59. little man while okay, you're doing okay. it. 58. Django, Marvel you shut 57. up and show this old, old man some respect. <laughs> oh, sorry. Mar- I thought I was still muted. <laughs> Marvel number two, um, it's anthology. Three, two stories in here are great. There's one called Leave the Demon, Take the Cannoli by Eric Powell. <laughs> and it's That's just, a Godfather reference. Yes, it is. Godfather 2, um, I think. Um, and in it... it the Fantastic Four leaves Ben home alone for the weekend. The first thing he does is he grabs all of uh, Johnny's expensive silk underwear and stretches them all over himself. And then he sits on the couch eating pizza and stretching out Johnny's underwear, his expensive underwear. And that's what you said you were going to do to me today. Yeah, and then Spider-Man shows up and the Silver Surfer and they have a weird adventure, Eric Powell style. That's why you're asking what material my underwear was made of. Yep. The second story is a vision story and I love the vision. Um, and it's a great story, classic God. vision, using his powers. The other things I want to mention is Maestro number four, which has a great fight between Herc- Hercules and the Maestro, well, old Hulk, but he's not, he's not the Maestro yet because Hercules is the Maestro. Okay. Just have a, has a great classic Marvel fight where Hercules beats him because, as he points out, you know, if you were the, the classic Hulk smash, Savage Hulk, you would beat me because the, the stronger you'd get stronger, the more angry you got. But since you're not that Hulk, you don't get angry enough and you doubt yourself and therefore I win. But then of course, this Hulk who becomes the maestro beats Hercules because there's no Bruce Banner in this Hulk. It's an altar. It's an altar of banners without banner. 
So that's Damn. how this Hulk becomes the maestro. Daredevil was awesome. Great legal stuff in here. Daredevil's going to go to prison. Oh, shit. And Shang-Chi number three was awesome. This series is getting better by the issue. I know that's probably more in a minute, but... You guys, we just birthed a segment where at the end of the podcast, Roman just does that thing where he cleans up all the garbage that he read. I got Not a garbage. name for it. I got a name for it. What is it? Roman's gooey dump. Oh. <laughs> I love it. That is very good. That could be a podcast in itself. But Roman, this is going to be a thing, a free-form five-minute segment where you just sort of go on everything yeah, left in your stack. That wasn't five minutes, was it? No, uh, it wasn't. We said sure one minute because we're way the fuck over now, but we're going to yeah. budget time in the future. <laughs> uh, info at thecomicsplace.com. Send us a voicemail. Send us a, send us a voice memo. That's even better. Then, then you get to hear you on the show. Um, if you're here in the podcast, you'll have a, you'll have a flipping week, okay? Yeah, send you're... us a message of some kind. At 205 is next there? week. <laughs> yeah, is it just the four of us? If you're here in the podcast, if you spent the last hour and a half or two hours with us you better end this podcast by opening up your phone going to voice memos which if you have an iphone is an app on there and i imagine android has some type of thing similar to that record a voice memo saying anything to the perfectly acceptable <laughs> podcast laugh at it and then email it to info at the open your email account don't do this while you're driving if you're doing this while you're driving pull over but open your email app attach that audio file and send it Django, thank you I think I think I would like to leave everybody with a question. Oh, oh. we've got us, a new bit, new segment. Discuss, but uh, the a question that is that in the world of the Watchmen, a thing happens at the end in order to unite the world. Clearly, that's not super realistic because here we are with a pandemic and an existential threat, and the world can't be united even about even about like basic sanitation right now. So my question is, if this Superman is was real, if Superman was real, would opinions on him be divide, as divided oh, as yes. opinions on masks? We can't wait to talk about that next week with everybody. You can send your responses to that to info at thecommonspace.com and we'll talk about that next week. And as always, you're for the, the quadrophenia to your Who experience. I'm Jeff. I'm Roger Daltrey. I'm Gavil Hawshaw. <laughs> I'm Pete Townsend. <laughs>